organization and the good collaboration. Um, we have a number of, uh, of topics today that we want to discuss. Um, um, one, uh, we start off with a panel where we will discuss the, the broad state of affairs, perhaps uh, with some focus on trade and investment. But then we look at migration, we look at regional integration, and we look at the 5G uh, challenge. Each of the panels will be chaired uh, by um, either a Brügel Fellow or uh, someone from Elcano slash uh, Giga. And we have, of course, panelists from uh, various uh, institutions that uh, have things to say about these issues. Now, um, I don't think I need much more of an introduction, but uh, to, to thank Elena Pisonero um, for uh, coming and agreeing to give a keynote. Elena, uh, for those of you who, who don't know, uh, is a member of uh, my board. Uh, <laughs> so I know her already, but she is, uh, beyond that, um, also the president of um, Hispazat, which is um, uh, a satellite company and former, uh, the former ambassador of Spain to the OECD and the former secretary of state of trade, tourism, and SMEs in, in Spain. She will, uh, she will give a, a kick us off, and then we will hear Ignacio Corlazzoli, who is the re representative for Europe and Israel at the Inter-American Development Bank. Uh, welcome, Ignacio, and thank you for coming. And, of course, uh, Edita Hda, uh, who is the managing director of Americas, uh, so of Latin America, but not only Latin America, at the European External Action Service uh, here in Brussels. Thank you for coming and for joining us today. Um, Elena, without much uh, further ado, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Guntram. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here as part of uh, Elcano uh, Scientific Board as well. So I couldn't say no. Uh, I couldn't say no. Um, and uh, well, what I'm trying to thank you yeah, for, for the invitation as well and all of you. Well, uh, what I'm trying to say is to give some context uh, to our discussion today, uh, because I think we are living, as uh, it was the title of the, of the meeting of today, we are living in turbulent times. And uh, my, my point is to, 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 to give some insights uh, of how this situation is impacting uh, Europe <laughs> and the relation the relationships Europe can build in this in this context. So, um, what I think is in these years of accelerated transformation and changes, it is more important than ever to gain perspective in order to have those essential fundamentals uh, references that help us position ourselves and, as far as possible, define future strategies. Speed and scale are two attributes of this complex environment which lead, uh, lead us to a third important element for me, which allows us to move forward with these two keys, which is the creation of uh, flexible alliances that allow mutualizing the existing risks in the face of an uncertain future, but uh, at, the, at the same time with the need to be able to play the game instead of being colonized by whoever is winning the game. It uh, exemplifies Agratia, China, hmm? to name the elephant in the room. So uh, it is difficult to, to summarize in 10 minutes my vision, but uh, it's a vision that I must say 
that I do in my condition of uh, European and American, because I'm a Spanish. So I think both characteristics are part of our DNA. Um, and I'm a privileged person who has seen the transformation of my country from a democracy and a closed economy into a democracy and a very open economy, very internationalized, being the second uh, investing economy in Latin America. And doing so, not only uh, from the perspective of Spanish government in my past, but being the chairperson of a company that is his percent that gets 70% of its revenues from America. So, um, in, and, and I think uh, in, 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 this, uh, in this context, an important and I think negative feature of traditional leaders, that's not only for politics but for corporates as well, is to believe that the fact of being at the head guarantees that they will always be with the blindness of not looking 360 degrees to see if others are doing uh, different things. And so imagine if, you're, if also your essential travel companion in this travel, the one who takes the chestnuts out of the fire and guarantees that everything is in order, has decided to take another path and leave you alone at your own destiny. Imagine also that the most advantaged students of your model have decided to advance in areas that you despised as geeks. There are not important things, digitalization, technology. And thinking that what you do will prevail because it has been the reference uh, of the world, industry, democracy, welfare state. And not only that, those uh, students show that they can do things not only differently, but without counting on you and questioning the essences that led us here. Last week, we celebrate the 75th uh, 5th, uh, anniversary of the Normandy landings that marked a milestone in history. And I would dare to say that of the humanity in which the Pax Americana was consolidated, and with it, the dependence of Europe on the American partner that we always consider the hick of the family, to which we could teach things from our own superiority as the cradle of cultural, historical, and social civilization, establishing a Freudian relationship that with the Trump presidency has jumped through the air. I'm looking at Scott. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> the image for, I know, but I think the image, I don't qualify, I think the image of President Trump's saluting the Queen Elizabeth <coughs> is quite expressive of what I'm saying. China has history, perspective, dimension, vision, and determination above its citizens. It's true. The United States has a strong economic position and a certain vision and leadership backed by a majority of its citizens. The president, the president is willing to, President Trump in this case, is willing to execute that strategy, fulfilling his mandate 
above the rest of the citizens of the world to whom he does not respond. The rest of the world does not have the right combination, in my view, of leadership and determination. It allows acting as a counterpoint and playing a different role in this increasingly bipolar and dangerous world. The U.S. confrontation with China is being taken advantage of uh, by this China to appear with a friendly collaborating power extending its influence not only for Asia, Asia, but also for Africa and Latin America. And it's been used by Russia to strengthen its alliance from a military perspective not negligible at all. Some European countries have been seduced by the Silk Road to fill the investment gaps generated by the European austerity policy. Many American countries and Africans rich in raw materials have also seen in China a necessary commercial ally at a time of global economic weakness and confrontations with their northern neighbors due to immigration issues. In my opinion, we are in the world uh, with a great player has, uh, with, in which a great player has been able to take advantage of the times and look 360 degrees with a clear strategy, focused, and the determination to move forward, China. And the rest is disoriented and acting in the measure of its possibilities. United States, powerful, but in my view, or not, short-sighted, and Europe absorbed in its internal problems without perspective, spurred by a spurious interest of the rest of players who want to take advantage of this situation, starting with Russia, fake news. In my opinion, there is a lack of strategy analysis. I, I know that the, the Commission and the Council are looking for this kind of strategy for next year to come, but we have to start with a complete uh, diagnosis. We cannot continue denying the reality because the changes occur with acceleration and we do not set the pace. They are marked by others who have understood reality better than us and have weapons and tools that Europeans and those who follow our model on are not willing to use. So we are in a disadvantage. What about Japan? What about Europe? There is an identity for Latin America with enough force to occupy its own space. Allow me to uh, draw this uh, new normal with impressionist uh, brass strokes. The world we live in is not a physical world, but an hybrid, hybrid one in which the dynamics of relationship uh, between people have been dramatically transformed, and with it, the economy, society, and politics. The connectivity and the cheapening of sensors and processor has, processors ha, has given birth to a set of technologies that hybridize exponentially with humans to define the future. This is the fourth industrial revolution that we are experiencing, and that is why the importance of 5G, uh, the infrastructure that enables it. Uh, 
This new exponential complex technological hybrid reality of the 21st century has its own dynamics that do not follow the rules in force in our traditional systems of the 20th century. Among these dynamics, let me stress one that is crucial because of the stabilizing its importance for our countries. That is that work ceases to be an essential production factor. And with it, the ability of the individual to negotiate, to integrate in the value chain of the economy. What really matters is the personal information, his data. Without that until today, he has been able to monetize, to get the retribution instead of the work that disappears. In my view, the big, mistakes, uh, big mistake of politicians and corporate leaders as well, I'm not going to, to blame only politicians, is not to be able to argue that the problem is not globalization itself, but the technological advance that is allowing not only workers to be replaced by cheaper ones, but by machines, by new processes that capture valuable parts of the value chain, leaving the residual with little value for those who continue with their traditional processes, their old rules, and their blindness. Technological advances that, yes, have been promoted by the competition of a global level, at a global level that allows the opening of the globalization. But, and let me stress this but, because I was at the OECD at that time, with rules that we are not fulfilling, because in part is at our convenience to look to the other side. That's why WTO is nothing today. Because the ones who build, build it in the past, they don't enforce the rules. Let me stop here and try to, to, to put on the table, and, and this is my point, because we are talking about uh, the relationship with uh, Latin American Caribbean countries, that uh, dimension is important. Dimension is important, and uh, we need this vision, we need the determination, but we need uh, dimension. And therefore, I think as, as Tom Time is uh, important. We need to build the right alliances in order to achieve this dimension and work to have our own model, our own vision that is very well known, but we have to believe in it. We, we have to do it with authenticity, being loyal to our principles and values, and trying to, of course, uh, develop science and technology, but always at the service of people, responding to the challenges of our society. What about 2030 agenda? What about strengthening democracy? Because we and other countries uh, with us believe in the importance, uh, the importance of the process, not only the end of the process. So, and it's why I'm, I'm, I'm fully convinced that Latin America that, are, that has uh, always look to Europe, not only as the old uh, father's parents or, or, or grandfathers, 
but as a reference of a society is a natural and important ally that will make migratory problems look like an opportunity to build stronger societies in which we take advantage of the talent of people when wanting to build a future of promises and not to uh, the decadence of a past that we are not going to recover at all. So technology with right alliances to put people at the center of the model of the 21st century. That's my point. Well, th thank you very much, uh, Elena. There was a lot of uh, food for thought here. I mean, of course, you started off with the um, uh, geopolitical conflict that we are seeing, and uh, I have to say I very much share your worry. Um, and um, also increasingly, I have to say, um, uh, the way this develops, including on the U.S. side, um, is increasingly worrying, I have to say. I mean, the... Uh, uh, the announcements that that we see coming coming out of the Twitter account of the current president that are then being put into place um, because it's not true that they these are just disappearing in the in the air. I mean these things are actually happening on the ground. Um, uh, do have um, already uh, very big uh, implications for the global uh, global economy and, by the way, also global trust in the United States. I mean, they are now increasingly, I read over the weekend a few opinion pieces that were suggesting that um, uh, the inversion of the yield curve in the United States um, is uh, not so much uh, forecasting recession, but rather a sign of increasing mistrust into, into, into the United States at the global level. Now, whether that's true, I don't know, but, uh, but I thought it's interesting to see that these kind of opinion pieces now appear because the, the rejection of multilateralism, the rejection of norms, the rejection of key principles of how the world has been organized um, by this U.S. administration um, is certainly worrying, and then, uh, and then, of course, you mentioned mentioned China and and a set of of the problems uh, from China, which certainly also deserve uh, deserve a serious discussion. Now, then, you moved on to the the uh, discussion on. Um, Technology and you know what kind of allies uh, do we have um, at the interface of technology, the geopolitical conflict, um, and um, uh, and uh, and these new technologies. And I, I think that's that's a very nice way of framing also the debate that we are having today, where we will discuss um, not only the trade and investment relations, but also uh, technology, 5G, right, um, which is an important. Uh, important area of research. Uh, so uh, so I, I thought that was a very uh, interesting and thought-provoking, and I'm sure we'll, we'll have a great discussion, but I don't want to sort of uh, throw questions now at you, because we have two, uh, two commentators or discussants, and so let me, let me turn uh, to, uh, to Ignacio first uh, for, for your remarks and comments. Thank you so much. And uh, I promise to be, unfortunately, much less provocative than Elena was on her <laughs> statement. I mean, uh, we have... Uh, the U.S., we have China on our board of directors. More important, I'm not sure how familiar you might be with the Inter-American Development Bank. We have 15 EU member countries sitting on our board. So that makes us, uh, probably in Latin America and the Caribbean, one of your main partners on the, that Elena was referring to. No? So the Inter-American Development Bank has a strong relationship that we have had for 40 years since the Declaration of Madrid, where EU members joined the, joined the bank. I'm just going to start maybe giving you a broad, broader perspective of what's happening in the region at a macro level. 
I want you to understand that uh, we're growing because, I mean, just to put you in the path of I mean, what we're doing, is we're growing at a very slower rate at the moment. It's uh, 2018 was 1%, and the uh, expectation for 2019 is 1.4. You have to take into consideration what uh, Elena was referring to. Globally, it's more or less 3.3%. If, and I'm sure Edita has much more to say in this, into this, but if you were to take countries such as Argentina, Venezuela, Nicaragua out of the picture, you would have a better idea of what's happening in the region. The region is very heterogeneous. I mean, you would have, for example, in Central America, 3.9 growth, which is higher than the average. And in South America, with Argentina and Venezuela, 2.7. No, are, and I'm sure Carlos and Ida will have much more to say into Venezuela than what I can say. But um, our expectation, I mean, for Venezuela, we have had a contraction over the last five years of 50%, and we expect this year, according to IMF, another contraction of 25%. That says quite a lot. Just to pick up what uh, Elena was uh, going on to and Guntram regarding China and the U.S., if we keep on with the trade wars that we're having currently, we expect, uh, and the projections are, that you could have a contraction of the Chinese economy, worst-case scenario of 1.8, would have an impact in the region of half percent of growth, no? The same thing for the U.S. If the U.S. were to have a decrease of 0.8, which is what they're referring to, that would have an impact of 0.4 percent in the region. That would lead us, if you, I mean, if we have 1.4, we're talking about, again, 1%. So it has a lot of impact on what's happening among China and the U.S. in the region. There are certain winners, certain losers. Certain countries are trying to portray themselves, oh, okay, if the U.S. were to position itself against China, maybe there could be some winners in Latin America as well. But our main challenge, at least from what we see in the bank right now, is that... Um, what we had, and uh, Carlos referred to in one of his many articles, that's uh, the decade of Latin America for the last, I think, uh, over the last decade. We, unfortunately, not all the countries on our side of the, uh, the Atlantic did their homework, and we have at the moment a deficit of 3.4%. That's very important, and I think that leads to two challenges. First thing we have, and I'm just going to use two examples of public expenditure that has raised substantially over the last decade that we need to address now that we have... Uh, we don't have the we have tailwinds in the economy back. For example, Brazil. Brazil, as you all know, well, the public expenditure raised seven percent. Now they're discussing the pension funds on the reform. It's a critical reform. I think the Bolsonaro, and I'm sure Carlos have much more to say on this, but the Bolsonaro presidency might be jeopardized or not, according to this pension fund reform. Just to give you an idea, Brazil invests at the moment seven times more into its elder people than in the kids, which is a way for the country of the future to jeopardize its future. And uh, we have, at the moment, 12% of Brazilian GDP is directly addressing elder people. And if the pension were to be passed, as it is at the moment, the project, that could be a 310 billion saving US dollars, no? At the same time, in Argentina, on the, um, where you had a public expenditure on the former government of the Kirchner, so that raised 17%, 17%, that's quite a substantial number. I did know it firsthand when she was in Argentina. And without the IMF and the ADB, you wouldn't have had the gradualismo that you have. I don't know how you say gradualismo in English. I was trying to... Gradualism. Gradualism, a way to say it, but on its concept. Step-by-step. Step-by-step approach. You cannot have this gradualism anymore. But so what you need to do is somehow try to find and solve the inefficiencies that you have in the public expenditure, <laughs> which in Argentina is plenty. The government is already doing a lot in the energy side. We're having elections, so that has a lot of implication on the elections, on the populism that's increasing in the region that we have. 
we've always been mentioning and many times and um, on the infrastructure side. So we have a gap, uh, as you know, we need an investment to compete with Asia, as Elena was saying, uh, at least a minimum of 5%. What we're doing on the public expenditure side in Latin America is 3.5. That's actually an opportunity for European companies, and we want to get into that uh, to find, because I mean, right now our debt is mostly towards bank, multilateral banks in the infrastructure gap. What we need to do is somehow try to find new partners, so that go beyond the usual partners, and those are institutional investors. And there you can leverage, and you can pass from the 13 um, billions that are needed, you could leverage to 71. So you could multiply, have a leverage of a multiplier effect of five, no? That's quite relevant. And the question here is what Elena was more or less saying is, if Europe is not there, the US is not there, who's going to be there? It's obviously going to be Chinese. If you see uh, the main investments in Brazil over the last two years has been Chinese companies. I mean, that gives you an insight of what's happening in the region, no? Mm -hmm. I, but I want to use, and I'm sure Edita is going to make a reference now to your, Edita, if, you, if I may, just to be provocative a bit, on your um, joint communication of the European Parliament and the Council with Latin America, no? I was reading at length over now in the flight, and there's one paragraph which I think is very important for us, no? There's 14 pages of diagnostic, of course, and then there's one paragraph on the, the refinement of its tool tanks from the EU, no? So I think, and that's where I think that we need to move on in this new partnership that you want to advocate, uh, Elena, is that we need to start defining the new tools. And what are the new tools? Well, first thing, I think it's, we need to recognize that many European countries, not all of them, you mean you're referring to Spain, and of course we have some interest of German. We had a, a very good uh, um, seminar two weeks ago organized by GIGA in Berlin with 27 ministers of foreign affairs in the region, which shows that the interest that Germany has in the region and the interest that the region has to have a relationship with Germany. But if you go back to the tool tanks, on the, if you think there's many Europeans leaving, the European countries leaving the region, especially the Nordic countries, so what does a bank like ours has to do? What is my job, actually? We have, to new, we have to think of the new tools of somehow, how can we, within the interest of the countries, because they have other pressing interests, other regions, migration and, of course, uh, Northern Africa or the Middle East. So how can be Latin America be in the agenda of these countries? Because we're not, and that's the truth, of many countries. No, I'm not just referring to other big ones. So at the banks, we're trying to advocate for new instruments in, uh, as bonds, for example, uh, green bonds, uh, for guarantees, for first loss schemes. You know that fairly well from SMEs. On blending, what we have, uh, and that's important to know and to, uh, to recognize, well, the EU, through DEFCO, is probably one of the biggest players on, on blending. I mean, us at the bank, we leverage more or less 70 million euros per year on grants, which is very important to, to identify on grants from the EU. The main, and uh, I hope no one is going to be bothered with this, but the main financier in Latin America, the European ones nowadays, is uh, the French Development Agency with uh, the, the goal of 2 billion euros per year. If you compare that to Spain, and I hope this won't, uh, this won't bother the Spanish people, but Spain is doing more or less 135 million. So you have a substantial difference uh, between uh, Spain and France, and Germany doing a billion, uh, billion point four more or less per year. So where are those that lead us? I mean, you're going to be discussing now migration, integration, and the, and the 5Gs. I just want to take these three examples, which are very important to the first thing. Migration. Migration in the region is here to stay. It's a phenomenal global now, but it's here to stay. No one is expecting Venezuelan migrants to leave Colombia 
Over the last five years, Colombia has given 600,000 naturalization, and uh, that I mean, has to be recognized. It doesn't mean, however, that we have elections, upcoming elections at the municipal level, and we're already seeing some political campaigns making Venezuela an issue. In Cucuta, in Guajira, that's started to become an issue. So that's one of... But the question is, what can we do that's different? And I think that's where we need to work with European partners. For example, we could work with, I know Telefonica is in the room. We could work with Telefonica. Telefonica is a second server of uh, communications in uh, Venezuela. And we could identify and maps exactly where the Venezuelan migrants in, uh, in the neighboring countries. That's one thing, one tool that could be explored. Uh, and jumping to 5Gs, and Juan is going to give you all the numbers, but if you compare Latin America to Europe or to ECD member countries, where well, we're actually lagging behind up to a third, I think it's one. No? If I'm correct, it's a third less. I mean, access and uh, velocity, and I mean, it's, it's a third less, more or less, la regla de tres in Latin America. More important in 5G is we're trying to work, again, I'm going to use Telefonica as a partner, that thanks, uh, we just launched a, a project with another bank called CAF in the region, where, again, with Telefonica, we're reaching balloons, in true balloons in Peru in the jungle, some internet, access to internet, no? Internet for all. So those are the kind of things that we need to partner with European countries. And last, because you're going to discuss integration, and I'm here in Brussels, and I'm Uruguayan, and of course we eat beef, I cannot, make, I cannot stop without making a reference to the Mercosur Agreement. So if Elena is saying that we need to have new partners in Latin America, the minimum you can do as European is we need to finalize this agreement that we've been about to find to finish for the last 20 years. I know we are about to, sometimes it's Irish beef, sometimes it's climate change, but it's always something. It's also on Latin American side, it's Brazilian cars, it's Argentine <coughs> economy, it's our, our own economic cycle, our own political cycle. But that's something that needs to be addressed. And I'm not just making the reference to Mercosur because of the numbers. The numbers are big for the, for the region, of course, but the most important aspect, that is the way we see it in the bank, is that this agreement would let us to have the first, I mean, for you to know, Mercosur, right now we only have an agreement with Egypt, Egypt and Israel. That's nothing worldwide. And Palestinian Authority, correct me. On the, so we're covering very well that part of the world. There's a, there's, a bigger, there's a bigger aspect of the world that we should see, and we're in early discussion with Canada, Singapore, and Korea. But the important footprint of the agreement with the EU would be the first agreement that would be a modern agreement for this economy. And that would probably institutionalize the Mercosur again, and would give, again, some uh, institutionality to it. But more important, it would help modernize Mercosurian economies. Thank you. Well, thank you, thank you for, for these uh, remarks and also for running us through some, some key numbers and some key overview of, uh, of the region, but then also with, uh, ending with a passionate plea for um, finalizing the Mercosur Agreement. I guess that uh, gives uh, exactly the right uh, starting point for, for Edita. Um, <laughs> perhaps not the starting point, but I, I hope you will, will say a few words also about uh, uh, um, um, the, the trade agreement. Thank you very much. It's really challenging uh, in the morning like this. But you will have Matthias Jürgensen here, you know. My part is almost done. His part is still not there. So please ask him when he comes. I will send him an SMS saying, look, they are waiting for you. They, they want to know. No, thank you very much for inviting me and thank you for being part of this panel. It's a pleasure um, because... Um, 
Elena and Ignacio already tackled many of the things which uh, I was thinking to speak about. Without any doubts, uh, the situation is changing. Uh, and um, when we started to negotiate or renegotiate the agreements, like three years ago when I came to Brussels, uh, and, I, and just I looked at it and, and uh, I opened the first negotiations, we have seen that uh, many new topics are coming to, uh, to the discussion and uh, the countries were coming with new ideas. So then uh, we decided that maybe it would be good to have a new reaction to whether the situation has changed since uh, the last communication was here. And thank you for praising uh, it because it was really um, something which came from the discussions with others. Uh, and you know, I came here and we were, we were running really through Latin America and European Union countries, member states, asking what you think, uh, what, what is the idea, what we can expect from the new, and not so new relation with, with Latin America. And then the product was here, and I am so happy that really in the last uh, moments uh, of uh, the working European Parliament, we got also support by the European Parliament, and then we had council conclusions, uh, which means the member states are taking this uh, joint communication as their own. Um, the title for the communication, of course, uh, is Joining Forces for the Common Future, and I think this is exactly that what we want. Um, it was issued uh, in uh, April 16th, and uh, it's only the start of the conversations. What we want, we want to build up the, this kind of new old relation on different bases, um, a bit um, tailored to each and every one country, and a bit looking into the regional um, institutions and organizations, what we can really do, and to have some uh, priorities. When, uh, when we looked at it and what, what came from the discussion were four topics. Uh, prosperity, and you were, Ignacio, talking about that, what we can expect from Latin America. I think this part is crucial for Europe. We don't have other better partner than Latin Americans, and we need to start to think what we can get from this relation and how we can build up it. Democracy, without any doubts, this is basis of our core European Union values, must be reflected in our policies, resilience, of course, and effective global governance. These four principles which are the base for this uh, joint uh, strategy, which means EIS and Commission strategy towards, towards Latin America. Um, we want to address more issues which are important for our citizens in general. Uh, we are suggesting uh, cooperation in rule of law, investment, climate change, uh, green economy, blue economy, you name it, digital, education, innovation, innovation, innovation <coughs> connectivity. We think these are the keywords, and on this we need to build uh, our future <coughs> relation. Um, we want to concentrate <coughs> on these organisms which are still alive. You had seen that we had problem with CELAC, even on a working level, it's very complicating to build up something reasonable among our experts, 
because on the other one side, time to time, you don't have the right response. You have presidencies of CELAC which are maybe not so active, or maybe they are active, but they are not allowed because of, and we have here heard it uh, this morning already, because of the situation in Venezuela, because of the situation in Nicaragua, because of the situation, and you name it. Um, so we are looking at Andean community newly a bit to see what is possible to do. Uh, we are looking to new prosur, and we are about to sign a joint declaration with Pacific Alliance. Very concrete one with concrete points where we can cooperate, where we can be as European Union useful for a Pacific Alliance, and where we can uh, come into into better relations. Mercosur agreement um, is complicated. Uh, had been always. Uh, I, I just said somewhere. I was remembering, you know, when I when I came back from Argentina from my posting, and I was director for the Americas in the Czech Ministry of Foreign Affairs. I got something on my table, and I was looking it through. We were just entering the European Union. And that was the first draft of the possible agreement with Mercosur. And I came here to Brussels, and they came to me and said, oh, that's great, Edita, you know, here he knew, and it was like four months ago, I, uh, four months I came. So here I said, show me the text, please, where we are, what, what is the proposal? And I looked at it and said, I have seen this already, what is this? And they said, of course, this, you know, this is the old one, and we, only, we, we will see what we do with it. So, after three years, we are, we are trying, we are really trying. We concluded, as I said, the political cooperation part last summer. It's done. There are two open things which we are waiting till uh, the trade is finishing, the negotiation, but we are done. Um, I, have, I was pushing now also the institutional part very much forward, but we are waiting for, this, for the main agreement. Are we there? And uh, I hope it's Chatham House uh, uh, rules here. No, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's, on it's on the record. Yes. It's on the record. OK. So then I will say it nicely. Um, without any doubt, there is a willingness on both sides. Is the willingness so that we are able to conclude it now, now before this commission is gone? Honestly, I don't know. I very much hope. We will see it now in the next few weeks. We are on preparation on that what, what can be done. Will it be there? Will we get it? I don't know. Uh, we will see in the autumn. From our side, all the steps are ready. But there must be political willingness on both sides on, during the negotiation. End of June, first half of July, I think that's the deadline. If there is no decision, then the new commission comes and we will see and not start again, I hope, because a part is really closed and we are very, very far. But I suppose will, everybody will look into it and will think newly. So now is the momentum. Now is the momentum. If it's not now, let's see. Uh, good news for the two other negotiations, by the way. For Mexico, um, again, now end of June, last touches, and we very much hope the text will be, all the text will be ready after legal scrubbing before uh, the end of this commission. And Chile, 
uh, which has had very good uh, negotiation rounds, both uh, trade and political cooperation part. Political cooperation part, I think four articles are still open, the rest is done, and I very much hope and when we are traveling for the negotiations in July that we can conclude uh, political cooperation part, and trade is proceeding very, very well. So hopefully these two will be done, Mercosur again, let's see. And I am very happy that you described uh, uh, the economic situation because uh, you see the, there is hope, there is hope, there is still growth in, in Latin America. And I think we need to concentrate exactly to, to that countries where we see the growth. Look at Panama what happened. Look at Ecuador exchange uh, and, and trade volumes after we signed the agreement. In one year, the increase was one, 170%. It's incredible what can be done if really the good uh, agreements are on place. And we should not forget that Latin America is a region where the, among the 33rd countries, we have the agreement kind of trade agreement with 27 of these countries. It is very important. It's no other region in the world where we are so far as here. Uh, on what we really would like to concentrate, of course, we see United States coming back. Uh, we see China being there. And by the way, I'm just coming from, from China. And uh, it was interesting to see uh, the Chinese preoccupied by the situation in, in Latin America, especially in Venezuela also, uh, wishing to be part uh, of the solution, which is very important. And you, you said it, uh, the migration uh, from Venezuela is influencing all the region. It's uh, a big destabilization of the situation there, and uh, we need to look at it, how European Union uh, can be helpful not only to the Venezuelans in Venezuela, not the Venezuelans on, around the borders, but also to the Venezuelans and to the countries uh, where the Venezuelans are going, like Peru, like Ecuador, like Argentina. So now we are really looking into that and uh, uh, trying to do our best and uh, be helpful with our programs and projects. Uh, maybe one more point for the afternoon debate, uh, 5G, is very important. It's very important to look into connectivity, it's very important to look at it, how we can communicate. Many of the business is done today uh, through internet, through communication, and uh, this is what brings our continents uh, closer. And uh, I think there is the future because the young people, uh, they don't do the business as it was done before. And we need to concentrate on the young people, on the universities, uh, innovation and technologies because we think really there is the future. Thank you. Well, thank, <clears throat> thank you very much, uh, Edita, and uh, for, for your remarks and to also giving us a clear insight into where we stand in the, in the various discussions um, that are ongoing between Latin America and Europe. Um, you all, um, and since we have a bit of time, let me throw sort of one question at you, um, and starting with Elena. I mean, you all, we, you all talked about, about China and uh, what China is doing uh, in Latin America. 
What I found a little bit uh, still an open question is to what extent do you consider the Chinese presence in Latin America a plus or a minus? And and um, and I have to say this is um, this is a debate we are having this debate also quite quite a bit within within our team. Obviously, there is the side of China where uh, you would you you can legitimately say they don't share a significant part of our values in the sense of uh, democracy, openness, transparency. Um, and the Chinese Communist Party in the in the last years has certainly. Uh, increased the grip on the country and has become more repressive, um, which is which is very worrying. Um, now, at the same time, um, Chinese investment um, is supporting growth, it's supporting income, it's supporting uh, uh, the infrastructure that is being built, including on the Belt and Road Initiative, which perhaps is less present in Latin America. But but still, I mean, this kind of infrastructure is is infrastructure that will be used by everyone. And that's going to be not just helpful for, for the Chinese. Once you have an airport being built, that airport will not only be used by Chinese planes. It will also be used by European planes, by American planes, and so on and so forth. So, so clearly, I mean, um, given that these economies have significant needs, investment needs, um, and those investment needs are unlikely to be met only by Europe and only by, by Western, uh, Western countries, including the United States, isn't there also some 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 positive news uh, of Chinese investments and presence in in Latin America? Is it not healthy competition? <laughs> well, it's part of uh, of the idea uh, in in terms of my context. I think in the in the short term is good news, of course. Do you need financing? Do you need uh, investment? And, uh, and and so it's very welcome. Uh, and it, it uh, the effects are, are going to, to be in the future depending of uh, what is going on in geopolitical terms. I think uh, that uh, China is, uh, is a, a friendly partner. Hmm? They, they are working uh, very well in terms, not only, and then I think it's the, the key point is, in my view, is that there is no an emergent uh, country and economy anymore. That was the case 20 years ago. So we put some facilities to China in order to, to grow because it was a factory of the world. It was nice. That's why I said that we were looking to the other side. And I remember at the OECD 20 years ago, they <laughs> said, well, it's a big market. We can trade a lot with uh, 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 1,000 billion people over there. It's a nice country, nice market. So we are going to make a lot of trade. It's good to, to welcome in. And I said, well, I think we, we, have not, we, we don't have the same playing field in some issues, but we can look at the other side. But there is an asymmetry, uh, not only in terms of principles and values, but uh, labor market regulation, for example, mm. or in terms of uh, um, uh, property, property regulations, uh, in terms of uh, uh, intellectual property regulations. Uh, but uh, we made everything what it takes to take China in, because it was a big market that will make the difference in the globalization. And it did it. Mm. And it is doing. The difference, 
because this is not a factory of the world anymore. He is the, the, leading, uh, the leading country in terms of technology. That's what, that was my point. <laughs> and it's a quite difference, quite a big difference. And so uh, it's good, but when you talk about infrastructures, and I work now for seven years in, in a, a telecommunication infrastructure, you're talking about uh, anything else. It's different. Because when you build infrastructure, you say who is going to pass or who is not going to pass, how you must pay to go to this, from this point to this other point. Um, so the question is that we don't have uh, rules for this new economy, but the property is from China. So uh, good in the short term. Many countries uh, have, and that's not only the, the Silk Road for, for some of our neighbors, Portugal, Italy. There are a lot of money over there. A Chinese, uh, a Chinese company came to see me twice, three times to buy Hispaset, because in a strategic infrastructure company in Latin America as well. <laughs> so so <clears throat> if you have the infrastructure, you can put the rules. And I don't know. I prefer to depend on the United States than on China. Because we have some common rules, and I can go on and discuss in similar terms. But I don't know what I'm going to tell to Chinese courts. If we don't uh, trust in terms of uh, regulation, the state of law, it's good to have an investment, but you can't, uh, you can't negotiate. So for me, it's a huge uncertainty. There are very good words, but when you are doing business, this kind of risks are too much. <laughs> too much for my PL, too much, because I don't know what is going to happen. And uh, the question, once again, is that, and I think we are always talking about old debates of trade and rules and, and trade agreements. And so, sorry, Edita, but I think this is part of the past. We are talking now not about what the children are doing with the smartphone. No, 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 no. The economy is uh, growing through companies that we don't control and through infrastructures that we don't have. And the question is that the 5G is going to be deployed by Chinese. Or if not, we have to wait for these agreements of 20 years. <laughs> because I remember Mercosur when I was, was a state of, uh, uh, Secretary of State 20 years ago. So come on. We are talking about Mercosur in 20, 20th century. Come on. That's what I tried to say. This is not the timing of the 21st century. It's, this is yesterday, and tomorrow we have the 5G through our Chinese technology that is cutting edge. And I don't uh, mistrust, but I don't know uh, how to trust either. <laughs> <So> <laughs> because because they, they, made, uh, they make the infrastructure, they know where the doors are, Barker, Frontier, I don't know, and they are going to say, you're passing, you're not passing, and I give me your 
data, give me your whatever. And I'm sure, because the history, and, and I think we, we have to learn from history, ancient times, uh, China was ruling the trade for many, many years, <laughs> many, many years, and not trying to go to, to war. But who knows? Because when we talk about infrastructure, we are talking about security, defense, migratory flows, people going around, and they are going to count it. So, so in Latin America, positive effects, but they are the first client in raw materials in Latin America. Mm -hmm. This is one of the sources of, uh, of prosperity of these countries. And if you are the only customer, I prefer to have several customers. I say prefer to have several suppliers. It's the rule of the market. Because if you, want, if you only have one customer or one supplier, you are in their hands. You have no sovereignty about the future. So I, I wish uh, and I want China for the best, but we have to be prepared for the worst. So positive or negative, it depends on how we see the situation, that's why I say we have to look at the reality, not only Brussels and us and us and us, but to see the world and try to be uh, fast. Ignacio, on China. And you said it's on record, no? It's on the record. On the record. <laughs> I'm fired. <laughs> And uh, I'm going to be careful what I say. And uh, first thing I would like to say that China is in the region to stay. The first thing to make it clear, no? First thing. I mean, just to give you an idea on my side of the world, on the financing, China alone gives more financing than the World Bank, IMF, IDB, GAF, all together. Of course, they focus mostly on Venezuela. They used to on Ecuador and certain countries. No, they're very limited. But by themselves, they do more than all of us together. That's the first thing. So that gives you an idea of scale. That's one. At the same time, Latin America is not Africa or the, pre or the former investment that China did in Africa. I think China now is in a different policy, not China 2.0. They're doing things different. Just like Elena said, I mean, they're focusing on the region for raw materials, mostly, copper, soya, a lot and uh, a little bit of football players, but not much more than that. <laughs> I mean, so we don't have much diversity into what we sell to China. That's uh, important to also to take into account, no? A plus, it's a Pacific Alliance country that are growing much more, of course, on the trade with the Pacific. That's uh, to take into consideration, which, which means that we need, as I mean, Europe, Europe needs to do something more with the Atlantic countries as well. The one does not, it's not a zero-sum game, but you also need to, to do something more with the Atlantic countries. And, um, but more important, I mean, I want to go back to my former point. And, um, a lot of European countries, especially Nordics, are sitting in what's something that's very remote called the OECD DAC. And that's far away from you, but for us it has a lot of implication because a lot of European countries are on a daily basis, I would say, maybe jeopardizing the relationship with Latin America, insisting on what they call graduation. It's a concept that has a lot of implications for Latin American countries. China is not sitting at the deck. China does not graduate. We, I mean, but Europe does graduate. 
and that has a lot of limitations for financing for the American countries. For example, at the moment, Uruguay and Chile are eligible for grants from the EU because of graduation. And that's a very few, it's not all European member countries, it's a very few of them. And, uh, but they do have a lot of impact on what they're doing through this graduation concept. So when European member countries are not investing, well, others are filling that vacuum. Mm -hmm. That's something that you need to take into consideration, no? And uh, at the same time, what we're doing at the bank is trying to find new ways to work with, for example, with Sweden. We're working on these new guarantee schemes, which is, I mean, Sweden is completely out of the region except for Bolivia, Colombia, and maybe Guatemala. So we're trying to find ways where we can work with the AAA into investing complete, I mean, complex financial schemes, but to keep the presence in the regions. And that's what we need to do. We need to try to find new tools, new ways to, uh, to ensure that European member countries are still present in the region. And that's why it's very important, I think it's critical that you convey this meeting at this time, because in the future MFF, uh, the multi-financial framework that's going to be to be approved for Latin America, we need to raise the importance that Latin America is present. And uh, not just the poorest country, but also what Elena was saying, we need to have, into the future MFF, we need to have the tools to finance technology and other new uh, sectors. We, we cannot just focus and looking in the rear mirror and looking backwards. We need to look forward. We need to look in every issue that you're going to be discussing this afternoon or today with new approaches. But I would say that uh, on your positive and minus China, I'm just going to refer to we had a major, and I'm sure many of you are familiar to, uh, we're supposed to have our annual meeting in, uh, in China this year. And uh, for internal reasons, it did, not, it did not take place. So that says a lot. Thank you. Yes, uh, Ignacio said it. Uh, I think uh, it's important to be aware of when we are not there, when the US is not there, somebody comes. And who comes? We cannot influence. And if Chinese came, it was only, only logical. Uh, and now we need to look at it, what we do with it. And it's not only about uh, raw materials and football players and ice hockey players, etc., etc. We see it uh, in Security Council, at the UN, uh, the presence is there, it's permanent, is the influence is growing. And when you see blocked Security Council, that's not only because uh, um, that the US is not agreeing with uh, Russia, it's also because the other one important member, China, is deciding what, what will happen because it comes with Russians or comes with US or comes with the two others, Europeans. So. Uh, and not only in Security Council, uh, in all international organizations, WTO, and, and, and you name it, where you go, they are omnipresent and they, they have their more and more power because they do it smartly. And if we don't do our part, then unfortunately they are taking our place. So what we want to do, and coming back to Latin America, they will be always present. Look, uh, look at Peru, look at Chile. They turned to Asia. They turned to China some years ago and we were not there. And they have not no other chance how to, how to survive and um, it's only logical. What is important for the future for, uh, for us in European Union? And again, Ignacio mentioned it already. 
we need to look into new budgeting, into new programming to see what we can do, what more we can do, how more we can be present in Latin America. It's in our interest. It's only in our interest. And you have seen that Federica Mogherini really dedicated a lot of time to Latin America, comparing to many predecessors. So um, hopefully the next commission which comes, uh, it will be again here, and we will be aware of, of the strategic importance of Latin America for us. Just, uh, yeah. Just a point that I think it's important. Uh, I think Europe is in the, it's a, a model, if any, anymore. <laughs> no, we, we have uh, the right combination in between um, public sector and private sector. Because I, as I was listening, I, I, am, I was thinking about public sector. And I remember when I was in the administration, we weren't there, me as company, me as a Spaniard, uh, I'm, I am in America, 500 years or something like this. So, uh, and as a company, all my money, my investment is put in America for many, many years. Not only when China rises, come on, come on, Spain, Spain. And uh, no, and I remember when I was Secretary of State 20 years ago, we became 20 years ago net investor in America, not this old economy of Spain uh, gaining, getting all the grants from Europe. No, 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 no. We were putting money, money to build infrastructures. Come on, infrastructures. That is very important. Communications, energy, banking are Spanish, so are European. European. The infrastructures of America are European. So all this investment is the stock. We have a, a great stock there. Many, many companies working there. I think that in my case, Hispaset is more American than European. Most of my people working is working in America. Come on. We are there. We are there. But we, have, we need the political will. We need the determination to work together, public sector, commission, commission as a power in the world to say, we have our rules, we comply with the rules, we believe in our model, and we want to be with you in this trouble. With technology, with engineers coming, as I have from Colombia, from Brazil, from Peru, working with us to deploy 5G tomorrow. Tomorrow in America, if we want. You talk about balloons, but with Hispasat satellites, we cover all America. We can connect all America if we want. But unfortunately, we have to work together and not to compete in many areas in which China is one big player. That's what I try to say. That's what I try to say. And it's not for five years a strategy of the commission. No, no, no. This is yesterday. We have the assets. We have the companies. We have invested for many years in America. But we have to believe in our uh, own power to really advocate what we want to be in the future, not waiting to United States to say, oh, come on. 
Why you leave? Why you leave? Oh, come on. Be attractive, once again, and try to work for the right model, and try to work for the right rules, and try to work for the right WTO, complying with the rules, starting with United States and Europe. And to say, if you don't comply, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play. I think it's time to do it. But we are there, we are here, and we are building bridges all the time with meetings like this of today. But we have to believe in it. Not more words. Not more words. No, please. It's not time to speak. It's, to, it's time to act. That's my point. And so I'm, I'm going to Brazil because I have my company there. So come on. We are there. That's what I try to say. Well, uh, thank you, uh, Elena. Thank you, Ignacio. Thank you, Edita, for your passionate uh, interventions. And, uh, That's what I'm read. <laughs> <laughs> Muchas gracias. Uh, and uh, let me give the floor to uh, Carlos and Bert uh, to add um, and introduce um, a bit more the specific panels today and the topics of the day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Carlos uh, Malamut is from Real Institute del Cano, and um, fortunately Charles Powell uh, couldn't couldn't come today. Um, he had to decline yesterday, but we we are delighted that you step in, Carlos. Thank you. Thank you, Guntram. Uh, good morning to, to all of you. Uh, it's true, Charles Powell at the last minute couldn't come to to Brussels. I speak in his in his place. Our meeting is about you lack bilateral or bi-regional relationship, new perspective in turbulent times. And what it means, new, purpose, new perspective in turbulent times? Let me put only two examples about it, about it means. The first, Itamaraty, the Brazilian Minister of Foreign Affairs, is working in the first trip, in the first European trip of the President Jair Bolsonaro. And what are the destiny selected by Itamaraty or by the President? There are three countries to visit, Hungary, Poland, and Italy, no more. No Brussels, no commission, so no comment. <laughs> Second example, Mexico and Spain still have excellent bilateral relationships in all aspects of the reality. Also, in the past years, Mexican investment in Spain increased sharply, very, very quickly. The, the Mexican investments are present in telecommunications, in tourism, in 
still absolutely in all orders of the, the reality. But approximately a month ago, the Mexican president, López Obrador, wrote a letter to the Spanish king demanding an apology for the crimes committed by the Spanish conquerors 500 years ago. No comment. So, the time to reflect about new perspective is adequate. Today, it seems, and I insist that only it seems because it has already seemed too many times before, that in a few weeks the negotiations between the EU and Mercosur could, as Edita said, be closed in a positive way if this time, in other obstacles, Irish farmers don't block the agreement. Today, Brazilian and Argentinian governments work hardly to advance in the agreement, but there are there remains little little difficulties, but the final uh, close doesn't come yet. But in the case, if the negotiations are concluded positively, the EU will be linked by some kind of treaty with practically all of Latin American countries except Venezuela and Bolivia. We have, with Chile, Mexico, Central America, please, Panama, and eventually with Mercosur, association treaties. With Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador, free trade agreements, and with Cuba, a cooperation agreement. And this will be some of the topics of our second panel this morning. The challenges we have in Europe deserve a deep reflection in this regard. Only think about Brexit, migrations, technolog technological change, relations with the US and with China, and how the EU stands before the two major international actors and the confrontation between them. In Latin America, the recent political changes in many countries have led to forget some integration par paradigms which made political dialogue prevail over other interests such as trade or economy, which were, which were, which were absolutely postponed in some countries. Today's situation explains the crisis of the great Bolivarian integration schemes such as ALBA, UNASUR, or even CELAC. From the point of view of the new perspective, we are talking about two issues that have a great impact not only in each of our regions, but also in bi-regional relations, migrations and technology. 
in this case, the application of 5G. Our third panel is dedicated to the 5G challenge and the ULAC collaboration or cooperation in this issue. The migration crisis, especially after the arrival of Syrian refugees to our countries, became a big problem for the EU and its member states. We will analyze these topics in the first panel. Migratory flows between Latin America on the one hand and North America and Europe on the other are significant. Altogether in 2015, almost 36 million of Latin Americans, 6% of the total population, were emigrants living in other parts of the world. The most popular population is the US, with 68% of the immigrants live, followed by intra-regional migration, 16.5, but now with the Venezuelan migrants, it changed a lot, which has grown apace in recent years, both by the economic and social improvement experience by various countries in the region. Occuping third place is Europe, which is destination of more for 4.6 million of Latin American immigrants, 30% of the total. In Latin America, as Ignacio said, the Venezuelan crisis has set in motion a unique problem, hitherto quite unknown in the region. It is estimated, only estimated, that probably more than 4 million Venezuelans, some speak about 5 million today, have left, has, have left their country in recent years, and the figure, the figure continues to rise. This comes apart that has gone to Miami and another to Spain. The rest has spread. Still many continue walking hundreds of thousands of kilometers to reach destination through the countries of South America. In Latin America, governments must confront the problem in an, in an inferior situation than their European counterparts, with much less economic resources, with less consolidated welfare states, and with less political coordination. It is true that in this, the U.S. is not a great example, but there are competencies in the hands of the Commission, and there are other coordination frameworks that, despite their difficulties, still work. It is important to say that it's the first time that Latin America faces a similar problem and on top of certain integration scheme in crisis. <clears throat> Only the SICA, Central American Integration System, Mercosur and the Pacific Alliance are safe, although this, these last two, as a consequence of the rival to power of Jair Bolsonaro and López Obrador, must face serious challenges that will undoubtedly condition their, their future. Okay, so also welcome from my side, Ambert Hoffman from the GIGA, German Institute of Global Area Studies, and more precisely the head of GIGA's Berlin office. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here in the third edition of this EULAC forum, and thank you very much to the panelists. We decided to jump head on uh, with the first keynote speech by uh, Elena in uh, the first panel. And now we kind of give the outlook on that to come in the 
in the seminar. Uh, I think most of the issues you've already touched, they are quite evident. One thing I found interesting in the preparations, we had wondered, should we dedicate a special panel to China? We don't have to, China is in all panels. It's uh, the elephant in the room, or one of the two elephants in the room, if we take uh, the USA in there too. I think we called it in turbulent times. We could be more precise. Uh, we have times where liberal trade is under stress, where multilateralism <coughs> is eroded, and where international and regional institutions are in crisis. And that conditions a new set of, uh, a, a new framework in global politics, which puts, puts Europe and Latin America in a new position, in a much closer or more similar position than we had in the past. In the past, we referred to historical ties and cultural ties and maybe also historical wounds, um, as you mentioned. But uh, now we have shared interests due to the global situation of this bipolar world. And I think um, that it has been mentioned in the world of 5G, Europe is as much as Latin America dependent on the bigger players in the world, and we have to adapt both Latin American countries and European countries to rules and to infrastructures and to projects which are designed and powered elsewhere. So that, I think, is a new situation. We still have differences between the two regions, within the two regions and specific countries, but it's much closer. We are not in the same uh, kind of north-south first world, third world divide anymore. And that is what I think our 5G panel is about. It's about a specific technology, but it's about much more. It's about a new world order which puts Latin America and Europe in a different place. Um, in, the, in that order I mentioned, we had the uh, multilateral institutions and regional organizations in crisis. Ignacio mentioned the recent summit we had in Berlin, where the German foreign ministry uh, invited 20 uh, foreign secretaries, came from Latin America, a new EU luck initiative from Germany. We have a Spanish uh, long tradition of a special relation to Latin America. We will see Great Britain having to develop its own foreign relations, not only to the Anglophone Caribbean, but also to the entire region. So we have a new um, impetus of individual countries' initiatives and not only EU initiatives. And I think we have the same on the Latin American side. You mentioned CELAC, UNASUR. We have regional organizations which are in crisis or more than that. We've got some others that uh, are going at with more perspectives, let's say the Pacific Alliance or um, uh, uh, maybe the ending community, if you're hopeful. Um, but we also will have to balance in a constructive way the individual nations' initiatives and bilateral initiatives to the broader regional institutional uh, um, cooperation schemes like EU-Mercosur, like uh, all that uh, the initiatives Edita had spoken about with the individual countries' initiatives. I think we tend to see those as competing and being contradictory. There are times, but they will be there both, and we have to see that we make them as compatible as possible. Uh, and that is a challenge we usually 
have not been really um, putting that centrally because in Europe the answer was, oh, the more Europe, the more the better, and that is not going to be the only answer I'm afraid we can give. So that will be p uh, part of the discussions we will have in the second panel on new type of regional integration. And I think we also have a very distinguished span panel there. If we have spoken in the past of historic ties, those historic times came from a specific type of immigration. I mean, it was conquest, and then we had immigration from Europe to Latin America. It was uh, this direction. Then we had a different flow, and we also could see that migration creates contemporary ties, if we think of the Ecuadorians and Spain and others. So that is not only a downside. It creates certain tensions and problems, but it's also the basis of a specific relation Europe has with Latin America and Latin America has with Europe. However, today we also see that this is being complemented by a different aspect, and that is we share similar, uh, a similar situation. Immigration in Europe has not started with the Syrian war. If we take Britain, the issue of immigration was Eastern European immigration to Britain that uh, was so strongly involved in the Brexit. It's immigration, the migration issue will not end with the Syrian issue. I think it's an, an issue we will have in many facets and many ways to stay. And in Latin America, we also have a new situation. Of course, Venezuela is the big issue, but it's not the only one. As the United States, which had been the prime destiny for much of the Central American Caribbean migration and to a lesser extent South America, as the United States impose harder migration entry barriers, we will see that the migration also will turn to more Latin American countries. Mexico is experimenting that transit migration has got kind of a the bottle is clogged at the end, and so transit migration becomes an immigration issue. We have the Haitian migration that went to the United States, and that has become so much more difficult, so we have Haitian migration even to Chile today. So we will have also in Latin America a different type of migration uh, problematic, and I think there also we have shared concerns, shared interests, shared perspectives, and the Global Compact for Migration also puts us in a, not identical, but in a shared discussion. And so we decided to have a first panel on that issue. And also, I think we found a great set of diverse uh, speakers on the matter. So I hope you will have a very interesting day today. I'm very much looking forward to it. I want to thank again Elcano and, of course, the Bruegel Institute for facilitating it and all of you to come here. And now it's time for the coffee break. Thank you very much. <laughs>